Welcome to another episode, a fantastic episode, I should say, of the Abundant Heart Finance, powered by Abundant Heart Financial Insight, the Abundant Wealth Club. And we welcome our fantastic audiences back to the show. We're so excited today. This is one of our favorite topics. We have a phenomenal guest here waiting for us. Uh, but before I'm going to give him a warm welcome and introduction, I just want to say thank you for tuning in and thank you for participating. We're so excited to bring on another guest and share so much value with you today. And this time, it's we have a very special topic. You often hear us talk that manifestation all comes from the mind. And that's why we brought a phenomenal speaker here that is actually featured in the latest uh, speaker series of the Think and Grow Rich Legacy Tour. But before we're going to talk about that, I want to give a warm welcome and welcome back to my sh to the show, our co-host, Angeline Waymeyer. Welcome back. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much for having us here. Of course. I'm so excited. And now the man that this is all about we have Nick Lowry on the show. He was actually for 18 years an NFL player with the Kansas City Chief. Nick is also a Hall of Famer and seven-time All-Pro Chief all-time leading scorer. I know that's a whole mouthful, but Nick is a very, very accomplished man, speaker, and also entrepreneur. But recently, Nick has also been featured as an international speaker in the Think and Grow Rich Legacy World Tour, where Nick shared the lessons of bringing the best to your own white hot moments. And do we have so many of those? Uh, and pressure, and then find your own moments of truth to take your new level and brand to a next level of success. And Nick really abides by these values. So today we can talk about the lessons in sport, but I wanna talk about the core message of Nick Lowry and talking about focus, passion, purpose, restoring your creative genius that each of us have inside so you can manifest your higher self. So it is my pleasure to introduce you, Nick Lowry. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Rob, and thank you, Angeline. It's it's an honor. It's also international. I love that in Holland, Holland, Amsterdam, and yep. uh, and Texas, and here I am in Arizona. So thank you for having me. Incredible, Nick. I want to start us off with a first question here. What does think and grow rich? What does that mean to you? Well, first of all. Um, Think and grow rich could easily be misinterpreted as being about being rich in terms of just money. And it's about the three dimensions, the heart, the mind, and the soul. It's about making sure that whatever success you have and as you build wealth, you build it internally. And in the end, you're able to share that wealth because to my sense, true wealth is the capacity to share your gifts with others so that they feel their own power and their own unique God-given talent to help others to make the world a better place. And if we ever needed it, it's right now. Right yeah. now, with all we've been through with COVID to remember how much we have in common and how much at the same time we're uniquely and beautifully gifted to make a special gift to the world. Wow. That's that's one one you know powerful way of of answering that. So so you believe that right now it's more than ever it's a time to 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 share and co-create and and manifest it's beautiful. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, in my own journey, uh, nothing has ever come easy. It's always required persistence. It's always required focus. And so the analogy that is immediately drawn between the sports field and real life is that we are most of the time in our lives facing the challenge of uh, separating ourselves from distractions, from lesser things that are perhaps important, but not as important and focusing on what we can control. And the only thing we can control, as we know, is our capacity to perceive, our capacity to not just react, but to act with intention on those things that matter. So if you draw this analogy, when I'm running on the field, uh, if you're a soccer player, right, or, or European football, as you call it in Europe and, and yeah. elsewhere in the world, um, you have that moment where the spotlight's on you. As a kicker, you're in the middle of the field, 80,000 people in Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, sometimes 20 to 30 million people watching. And you can't control the people watching, but you can control yourself. You can't control the 11 people that are paid millions of dollars to block your kick, to get in the way, to sabotage your success. But if you look at that little circle between where you're going to kick that ball and your beginning approach, that's your office. That's my office. That's the area we can control. If we take care just of that, we will be successful. But the second part of it is we're kicking at a target. The target is something bigger. The ball on the ground is our daily discipline, our daily craft. And loving the craft and loving the hard work is everything. Because with passion and focus, phenomenal things happen. But what takes us to the next level is the goalposts, which is what is my purpose? What is the thing that will always stand, that will be my legacy as I move on in life? I won't live forever. So what will stay? What will help other people live lives of courage, of meaning, of contribution? And I'm very curious, Nick, because 18 years, right, in sports, what inspire you? What motivates you every single day to, to push through, right? To push through those challenges and grow from it. You have this mindset. Did you learn this mindset or this is just within you? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, um, it's not as simple and it's not as complicated as some might make it. Certainly having great parents, having a sense that you're special, is initially uh, contributed to by being surrounded by people that love you, that are consistent, that don't abuse you, that let you know that you have uh, the capacity to do good things. But it's also not parents that say, oh, I'm going to give you a trophy if you lose. I'm going to give you a trophy if you don't work hard. The beginning is that, that foundation of our parents and our surroundings. It's the journey itself, realizing that each failure sometimes embarrassing, sometimes truly hurtful, sometimes a sense of betrayal that a teacher or a mentor or a friend didn't see the potential greatness in us, and yet realizing it's always about how I learned from that. So for me, it was a process of being blessed to have great parents, uh, being open to mentors, and I want to talk about mentors when we have a, a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, they've inspired me with their own stories. Uh, it lives on with me every single day. Dick Johnson being my first mentor um, who came up to me, Rob and Angeline. Uh, the first day he was coaching me as, as a kicker, he'd never kicked before. And yet he had something special about him. And he immediately said, you know, Nick, I almost died six weeks ago. I was on my deathbed. And a little kid appeared to me 
and I knew I was going to die. And this kid stood up, and I get emotion just saying it, because this young man, Dick said, said to me, Dick, 55 years ago, I was being bullied every day. I was being beaten up. I was being treated terribly and abused. And you were the one in school, the only one that stood up for me. And I'm here today, all these years later, to say, I'm standing up for you. You're not going to die. So when he began to mentor me, it was always with a sense that life can be taken away to make the most of it. And also that uh, God is in the room, that there is some higher power there wanting us to succeed. And so perhaps something was in me that he saw in me, the receptivity, just the openness to be coached, which is a big part of it, that the teacher can't really teach if the student isn't ready to learn. And uh, Dick Johnson lives with me every day because each time I was cut, which was 11 times, I was rejected 11 times, three times by the same team, eight different teams. And yet something was saying, you're getting better. You're getting better. And in two years, Robert Angeline, I went from all those rejections and not feeling worthy, which is another issue itself, do I deserve success, mm-hmm. to beating out the greatest kicker in the history of the game from Norway, actually, originally, Jan Stenerud, and breaking every single one of his records. Um, I never thought I could do that, but day by day, loving the craft, digging in even deeper, finding something in me I didn't even know I had, I got to a new level and everyone watching now, everyone can do that, but it does require passion, focus and persistence and the sense that you're here for a reason. It may not appear to you now, but it will appear, but just stick with it. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Incredibly powerful. Um, because I, I, I imagine that there's so many people that are trying to pursue a goal, a dream, a purpose, but they are faced sometimes with challenge and it makes you wonder sometimes. It makes you wonder, am I going the right direction? Is this right for me? Um, so, Nick, what, what, would you, what kind of advice would you give for somebody that is trying to pursue their career, trying to pursue their purpose? They have a sense of direction but it doesn't always flow in the direction that they expected. What, what would you say to them in order to continue pursuing? Well, I believe that, um, and I've led, this is where the beautiful thing of these gifts is uh, intuition, listening to your intuition, trusting your intuition and noticing how, how rewarding that can be. As we get older, we get wiser if we do this, if we keep going. and. That word is creativity. A great entrepreneur not only is persistent, not only has a plan, but also has a level of creativity. Now, creativity may be playing a banjo, maybe playing a horn, maybe singing, maybe uh, being a comedian, maybe yeah. dancing. It, there are all sorts of forms of yeah. creativity. Entrepreneurial creativity is also an intellectual exercise in saying what has not been thought of before? What has not been? What is the niche that is unique? And I believe that, uh, if you will, God put in us a beautiful relationship between the spiritual part of our brain and the creative part of our brain. And having worked, which has been such a blessing for me the last 15 years, with the homeless at St. Vincent de Paul, and having worked with Native American kids, a very high rate of abuse, a very high rate of cultural depression, and helping them channel themselves into their unique creativity. That is the doorway to their gift. 
And by being creative, we can create literally in our brain, in the structures of our brain, new pathways, new access through, sometimes through, sometimes around, under, over the traumas that have held us back. Trauma by definition to me is cementing and paralyzing our sense of ourselves to a past life, to a past moment. And so creativity is a doorway, it's a bridge around and through those things that hold us back to new places where we see better, we see more deeply in richer color, and we create something that no one else has thought of before. That's what makes America great. That's what makes all great entrepreneurs um, con contributing to something special because they've tapped into a very special kind of creativity, which is unique to them, and yet shares is able to be of value to many, many people. Wow. I, I love how you kind of bridge there the spiritual part with the scientific part. You talked about neural pathways and, and having a strong sense of belief. That's uh, that's incredibly inspiring. Yeah. And Nate, you mentioned about helping homeless and, and the kids, right? Can you? I know that's something that you are very passionate about that you want to contribute. So can you tell us a little bit more on that? So see how can we as a community and contribute um, uh, to, to, to your cause. Well, thank you for asking me that. Well, um, something has led me. I just love it. I feel so much emotion because I love my life because of this is I've always thought, what are the things, who are the people that are forgotten? And, uh, having worked with native American children, uh, if you look up nativevision.org, uh, I helped found that 25, 26 years ago with Johns Hopkins center for American Indian health and uh, got the NFL Players Association involved. And now 25 years later, 700 children from 40 tribes are taught, are coached in seven sports. And no one can say anymore that professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hall of Fame athletes aren't willing to come to the reservation to very remote areas paid nothing except right here to say, I love you. I love you, this Native American child who never felt that they were worthy of anything. And that's been such a powerful experience for me of seeing the beauty in each person. Because out of a sports culture, we tend to be narcissistic. And, and that's a harsh word, but we tend to be more, it's all about me. So that growth then becomes, how do I take this, this trophy over here, perhaps, if you see that in the background, I'll, I'll move it a little bit. There's a trophy. What? Who cares about a trophy if I can't do anything with it? So working with the homeless, it's been now 15 years with St. Vincent de Paul. I've noticed the humanity that is absolutely there with the homeless. And in COVID, there's been a 25% increase in shelterless homelessness. Uh, during COVID and now in the last 10 years, there's been an exponential increase, I believe worldwide in people that have advanced degrees. But uh, if they were not lucky enough to have health care and they lost their job, those two things suddenly renders them out of the loop of uh, safety and into a homeless environment. This is happening in the United States, uh, in California a lot. It's happening here in Arizona. It's happening in Texas. Uh, it's happening at the border with children that are coming, coming in unaccompanied and obviously don't have a lot of adult support that they know they can trust. So that becomes really powerful experience to let someone know 
that they are loved and respected and important. So that program, if you look up Champions for the Homeless, uh, put my name in if you like Nick Lowry, um, the media now treat it differently than they did when we started 15 years ago. They realize that we owe it, we the media owe it to tell this story of the humanity of these people, to put a human face on these people. And so uh, while the stereotype is drug addiction, mental illness, and, and they are real, it's not nearly as significant as it's painted. And when people are made to feel and encouraged and reinforced that that they are loved and special, they begin to melt away these layers of protection, this hardness, this hard shell of being on the street. And they believe they have hope again because it starts, as we all know, Rob and Angeline, by loving ourselves, by saying, I am special. And special not because I'm important, so much as God makes me important, but I'm special because I can help others as well. It's always this circle. So Champions for the Homeless grew from 40 volunteers to 500. Imagine wow. 500 people, all of them saying, you're the only reason I'm here. You're the only thing that matters in this room. Thousand homeless getting meals, getting flowers, just simple things that don't have an immediate practical application except the flower symbolizing you are beautiful. Um, music from the best musicians in the Southwest, uh, NFL players wearing their jersey, sometimes a little tighter than it might have been when they played. Uh, you know, Miss Arizona's um, celebrities like Larry Fitzgerald, if you've heard of him, one of the more famous players in the National Football League, the owners of the Cardinals, um, becoming Michael Bidwell and, and his sister. Um, and then seeing this evolve where suddenly people that are very wealthy and very successful realize that this experience of helping someone who was anonymous, who was an object, who was a piece of broken furniture on the street, helping them helps them fill a void that was always there. And now they have a sense of completion in their lives. And so then they notice that their children, sometimes five and seven and 10 and 12, never felt power before, now have felt the most pure sense of power. As a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, I can help an adult who scared me before because I didn't know them and didn't know, and I had them in this image and this object place. Now I see them as human beings. I've never felt so powerful. And dad, you know, their 340-pound father in the NFL, dad, I need to go back. So that creates a beautiful momentum of higher values. And if you learn that when you're nine and 10 and 12 as a child, that stays with you as the only healthy addiction in the world. Let's look at life as healthy addictions versus unhealthy addictions. What are the habits of the heart and the soul that will stay with me that I will crave forever because it only brings out my best and bringing out my best and my love and my creativity and my energy inspires other people around me. Wow, what an incredible story, uh, Nick! And and I we can tell here on the show that you're incredibly pa uh, passionate about about this cause. And I want to say congratulations for creating a movement, even because it's not easy to get people to join your cause. I mean, I think that most often we we have a sense of of the what is the right thing to do, but actually to have other people lend their time to support your cause that is an incredible accomplishment. But like you mentioned, it creates a ripple effect. And ultimately, this, this is the legacy that, that you're leaving on, on Mother Earth. Do you agree? Um, I, I, 
Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. And here's another thing. Just like doing this beautiful show and watching Angeline grow as a human being. And I just met you, Rob, but just so beautiful, right? To see people grow in wisdom and love, right? And clarity. This is what's the, the legacy itself is that also inside us, we're growing in that. I'm emotional because I lost my brother three weeks ago. And I know the one thing I want to do in my life, which I knew before he died, is just underscored by his passing, which is honor him, honor the people that I've loved in my life by speaking for them and letting them speak through me. And so that's what grows. We grow in our capacity and Think and Grow Rich talks about this. And also psychology talks about this. When we align our deepest values, and let me just challenge all of you, it's not that complicated. In other words, if I, whoever I is, whoever is watching right now, if I get clear on the most important thing in my life, and if possible, the second most, that's it. You can write down your 10 highest values, but be clear on the top two because then you can make decisions you will commit to and follow through on. And by following through and being committed, you will have an impact. The other side of that is even if it's wrong and you eventually realize <laughs> that's not what I'm for, you've learned that because you were committed. You have no regrets because the lesson is clear. I didn't compromise. I threw myself into that. I stayed with it. And because of that, I'm now, if you will, on my developmental tree on a higher branch where I see farther, more clearly of what really is my gift. So even then, there will always be gifts by doing this and noticing, not just thinking, but knowing I'm growing as a human being. That's how we stay alive until we're 110. I believe my goal is to be like my professor, Arthur Mayer at Dartmouth College, who is 93 my senior year and his wife Millie was 88 and he had the most popular course at Dartmouth College. It was on the history of film and I would walk with him from time to time to and from the lecture hall and he would say, hey, what did you think Millie? And Millie would say, well, you did fine, but you know, you forgot this thing or you should have done. He was always about, I'm going to get it better tomorrow. I love what I did today. I did the best I could today. I'm going to get it better tomorrow. And I want to be that way when I'm 100 because then I will be a child, a mature child, a visionary child, but I will have that childlike curiosity and enthusiasm to jump and stay in life living fully. Wow. I can feel the inner child full of energy within you. <laughs> it's beautiful. And, and I think we can all feel and sense that, Nick, here on the show, that you have this sense of curiosity and, and enjoyment in, in life, which is so obvious. Um, but so so as a segue here, you, you talked already about a couple of people that were influential in your life. And I'm sure that our audience here is wondering, right, because you have such an incredible track record in, in sports, of course. But then now as a speaker, as an influencer, um, you know, being on TV, having a platform, who, who would you say are some of the most influential people that, that you can remember or that perhaps are still with you today? And what would you consider was that impact in your growth moving forward? Well, here's the first thing. Also, I haven't used another important word, which is gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. If you default to anything in life, when you have that sluggish morning and it, the, the world seems dark and cloudy, it's retreating to 
gratitude. I am so grateful how lucky I was. I wasn't spoiled with rich parents. They were rich in education. They were rich in love. But I was rich in the people I was exposed to. My next door neighbor, Robin Angeline, in 1962, because I'm 65, by the way. I just turned wow. 65. <laughs> 1962, I was six years old. And in 6803 Hampshire Road, we moved in. A new neighborhood in McLean, Virginia, not far from the CIA. My dad was uh, a pilot in World War II and, and then studied and became an intelligence officer and, and was an expert on European history. Uh, and so we moved into this house and next door, the same day, Supreme Court Justice Byron Wizard White. Look him up, Byron Wizard White, uh, one of the great legends of our time. And if you haven't heard of him, you should study him because he was number one at Yale Law School the same year he led the National Football League in rushing. He received the biggest bonus ever at that point from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He led the NFL in rushing for both Pittsburgh and then the Detroit Lions. Three years in the NFL, led the NFL in rushing twice, Yale Law School, and then he became, uh, years later, a Supreme Court justice for 31 years. In fact, this this man, this football player, actually commandeered the buses as uh, the number two at the uh, Department of Justice under Bobby Kennedy. During the civil rights marches, this is the man that said, if these marchers don't have buses to take them, this could derail what they're trying to do. We need to protect them physically. They're in great danger. And so he contributed that. And that was my next door neighbor. That was a man who was a uh, supporter of civil rights, but he also was conservative. He was an interesting, what they called swing man on the Supreme Court for 31 years. And then I think of all the other people that inspired me um, that helped me get to a different place in my life, not just in sports. So I, I began to work in the United States Senate coming out of college, not knowing I would make it. And Senator John Chafee of Rhode Island uh, was one of my mentors. He, I heard, was a a Korean War hero. And then I found out that a very famous military historian, Stephen Ambrose, if you look him up, A-M-B-R-O-S-E, one of the great military historians, great writer, dedicated a book to John Chafee. And it was a novel, if you will, but it was about what really happened in the Korean War when, as he says in the book at the beginning, this character is modeled after John Chafee. Yet John Chafee never talked about it. He just lived greatness not by talking about it, but by doing it. He became the top environmentalist in the United States Senate. He authored the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act um, from the state of Rhode Island. He was one of the last of the generation, unfortunately, of uh, senators that could cross the aisle and work with Democrats or the other way around. Um, so he was a mentor to me. And then later in my career, I got to work uh, for H.W. Bush in the White House in the off season on the in 1989 on the points of light foundation the idea the vision even though he didn't say he had a vision didn't think he had a vision the vision that all of us is a point of light all of us have something that can bring light to the darkness that was just beautiful to recognize people that see that that's an, another important part of america's deepest values that don't need to change ever and then four years later helping do the same thing for bill clinton that was a wonderful mentor for me uh, Bill Clinton was one of the great combinations of creativity and intellectual curiosity and follow through. Um, and I don't care about all the other politics. All I know is I want people to lead me by solving problems. And the Peace Corps, the Peace Corps, which has gone now 340,000 
Americans in the last 60 something years um, all over the world. But the AmeriCorps version of the Peace Corps was you don't have to go elsewhere. What about right here? Instead of military service, you can serve your community for two years long enough to develop relationships with very difficult communities, sometimes literally trust with drug dealers and bring drug dealers out of their loop of dysfunction into, I can use these same skills to make my community better in East St. Louis as one example or anywhere else. That AmeriCorps volunteer is someone that reminds us that service, service to others completes our circle of success. And in a way, it's kind of like a heart shape to me. It's not just a circle, it's got a beautiful shape. And those people, once they've served for two years, they're forever changed. They're always thinking and, and figuring out how can I take what I'm doing and create a better place where we're more connected, more confident, more trusting. Um, and we expand the pie, if you will, of love and resources. That's what an entrepreneur does. And that's why I love Angeline seeing what she's doing because she's expanding all the time her capacity to inspire others with new ideas which they themselves create. Beautiful. Thank you, Nick. Because you mentioned about success, right? I was wondering, what is your definition of success? The 18 years ago, right, when you're playing NFL, the definition back then and the definition of success now, is, is it, has, has that been changed? Absolutely. Yeah. Great question. Um, you know, you talked about, um, I think, Rob, you know, the idea of, of what success might be and, and the sense of, of sometimes I think shallowness uh, of this Hollywood notion of shooting stars that make it our first younger notion of success is breaking through, just breaking through. For me, breaking through the NFL, the frustration of out kicking everyone as a kicker and still being rejected, which happens to all of us, I think, at some level. And then making it and beating out this great kicker and being on uh, 2020, which is a very popular show on ABC, being featured on that, uh, being in Sports Illustrated, featured on that, getting this exposure, getting the spotlight on me, doing really well, being elected to the um, Pro Bowl, the All-Star Game, 17 Hall of Famers on my team in Hawaii and hula girls and palm trees and the surreal quality of that successful moment kicking the game-winning field goal in that moment. And I want all of you to hear this, too, because if we haven't done that internal work, which is both intellectual, emotional, spiritual, then we can find ourselves the way I did, which was I kicked the game-winning field goal. It's wonderful. I'm being hugged by a very violent but a sweet man, thank God, uh, Jack Lambert, uh, who is a famous middle linebacker with a toothless grin with the Pittsburgh Steelers who ran on the field and hugged me after I kicked that field goal and all these famous players hugging me, going to the locker room, 25 television cameras all around and, and media. And then as soon, the second that those cameras left the locker room, as soon as my teammates began to go on to dinner and, and, and leave that moment behind, I felt this oxygen leave the room and I had to start asking myself, <laughs> what's missing? Why do I feel this vacancy in my heart? What's missing here? This should be a great moment. This is a bucket list moment. And I realized I hadn't intentionally 
invited and included my family, my parents, my friends, the people that would be there no matter what. And I resolved then, and that was at the age of 25, thank God, as an athlete, you can learn these lessons not at 55, but at 25, yeah. and then you can do something about it. And I said, if I ever make it again, and I was all pro seven times, if I ever make it again, my mother and father and friends, they're all invited. We're all going to celebrate this too, so they know it's their moment too. And I kicked two more game-winning field goals in the in the Pro Bowl, and mom and dad were in the front row. I had dinner with mom and dad the, the night before in my family, and the owner of the Chiefs, Lamar Hunt, and my teammate Derek Thomas, who's a famous player, and Duran Cherry and other players. And then, and I had dinner with them afterwards, and there was a sense that I had instead of arrived on the top of a mountain alone, there were people with me on the mountain too. And then we could go on to new and better things as well. So that's a really important reference is those moments of greatest success can be greatest disappointment too. And we see it all the time. People that get into drugs, athletes, actors, musicians, people on that mountaintop feeling alone and realizing I've done everything I said I wanted to do and I'm still empty, well, maybe life's empty too. And life's not empty, but we have to fill it with values and actions that are consistent and intentional that share our success. That's what an entrepreneur does. They're always sharing their successful idea to enhance the quality of life for other people. That's how they will have a product that will always be growing and always helping. Wow. It, this is some in, incredible uh, life lessons here, uh, Nick, because I, I do believe that when, when you're at the starting point of your career uh, or whatever you know venture you're pursuing, um, I think that you usually focus first on your vehicle at hand, right? You have to decide on your vehicle and how you're going to break through, as you mentioned. But you're actually saying that real success is actually when you reach that top of the mountain which you are surrounded and can be shared by by loved ones and people that you can either help lift up so they can be on their way to success or share the success with the people you truly care about while you know making an impact on your community so that that's a little bit of a different um, approach to to success especially for the people that are just jumping on the train and, and working their their butts off so to speak to 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 yeah. break through yeah i you know i lived in europe for six years and and i was born 11 years after world war ii in germany in munich my dad i've never said this publicly but my dad's uh, office was in the commandeered building that had originally been the company that manufactured the gas for the gas chambers wow. Wow. my mother my mother was in the first full class of women at oxford and she spoke perfect german and she was sent in after the war to interrogate or really just question hitler's record keepers in minden just outside berlin and berlin what i didn't find out until five years ago from a mentor of mine i may talk about here in a little bit who had also gone to, to Oxford and, and had a good relationship with my mother, that she didn't tell any of her children the reality that before the war ended, right at the end of the war, when Eisenhower went to the death camps, my mother was sent as a British intelligence officer to document the death camps. Can you imagine the photos, the videos of that 
those atrocities that are the worst atrocities and the testing, the, the medical testing, treating these people as objects of the worst level of evil and living with that to present that in London for a year and a half after the war. And I just found out, I'm going to see this man, his, his father, David McElhenney, who was the former Episcopal chaplain at Dartmouth and then at UVA. Um, she was deeply hurt because even then, even with all this evidence, so many people didn't want to believe it in London. And so evil is a real thing. And we have to arm ourselves spiritually, intellectually, emotionally with the strength to do what it takes to overcome. And my mother didn't share that that terrible past um, because I think out of love, she wanted us to have good energy in our lives. But I bring that up because uh, work ethic is not a problem. Even the death camp said, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, labor will free you, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, work work makes free. Arbeis macht makes you free, right? What a, what a an evil use of that phrase. But work, work ethic without spiritual depth is nothing. Viktor Frankl talks about in Man's Search for Meaning, uh, that we always have to be searching for that meaning of how am I, how is God teaching me to be a bigger person so I can overcome this? And we are headed, if we're not careful, to something very different than World War II, but a, a, a value civil war, if you will, around the world of what really matters as human beings. And I hope it's the triumph of the human spirit. So that's what arms me. And, um, you know, that's why deeply I, I get emotional because I know the sacrifices my parents made and so many millions made to keep this world free in World War II and since. And here we are now, 75, 80 years later. And uh, those lessons are always important. And if we don't understand and are clear about that, we are vulnerable to being manipulated into losing the most important values of all, which is every human being has value, is beautiful, has power to do good things, and we are connected and we are more common than we are different. Wow. So beautiful. So Nick, what, I, what I'm hearing is you are a big guy with a huge heart. And thank you so much for, for being so authentic and vulnerable and, and share your story. We really appreciate that. Um, and, you know, in our group, right, um, we have a lot of uprising young entrepreneurs. Yes. They want to start their, their journey. They, their mindset is they, I, I want to have freedom. I want to make a difference. Yeah. So what kind of um, can you share some tips with the young entrepreneurs? Yes to help them create even more success in their life, lead them into the right direction, because I believe that's the future of our, our country, right, of the world. Well, I think um, you have to do some hard searching to make a choice of what is that gift. And as I said earlier, sometimes by staying with that gift and being committed to it, you come to a clarity of uh, a moment, an aha moment when you re realize there's something different that's even better. But you have to start with that first level of commitment with daily discipline and focus, right? And you have to then listen to how you learn and improve it. It never, never, that's an absolute key word. It never stops. Um, there's a moment of stopping and feeling fulfilled 
as you go through this. So it's that unique combination of the daily discipline. When I would train, and I loved working in Washington for President Clinton and President H.W. Bush. I worked in drug abuse policy office in 88 for Reagan, trying to learn about the drug issue. That kept balance. But in my craft as a kicker, I got to the point where I could tell. I didn't think. I knew. Everything I did was going to serve me being more confident, being able to contribute to my team, and being more ready, right? That's the other part of it is being ready for something unpredictable that might be a huge, uh, we call it Murphy's Law in this country, right? Something that seems to be destined to sabotage my success, but by training properly, I'm ready for the unpredictable. That's the part that separates you out. So there's that beautiful balance of daily discipline, loving the work, loving it when you're tired, loving it when you're bored, loving it when you're frustrated, loving it when you're angry and still doing the work, but also listening and being ready, preparing yourself, seeing how this will then contribute to a better product, a better you. And then, of course, being able to work with others. If you can't expand your capacity to listen, we call it level five listening, to listen to the people you work with, you can't expand your vision. You're uh, modeling a behavior. You're modeling something, a language. And others won't hear that language if you're not listening to them as well. So level five listening is really important. It's empathetic. Um, you don't have to make sure you're always pleasing everyone because then you get derailed as well. I'll give, can I give you a quick story? This yeah. is a good one. Pete, Pete Carroll was my coach for a year with the New York Jets. I played 14 years, by the way, for Kansas City, one with the Patriots and three with the New York Jets. And Pete Carroll was my coach. I loved his energy. And he was fired after one year. Well, now he's been with Seattle. He was with USC. He was, he's become one of the best coaches ever in football history. I had him on a show that was called Head Games Radio, and I asked him, what have you learned since 1996? By now it was 2004. He said, Nick, what I learned was I wanted everybody on my team to like me. I wanted them to know I loved them, and I would do anything to help them be a success. And I had a player named Terry Glenn, who was a very talented wide receiver on my team. And there was something going on in his personal life, and I bent over backwards. I bent over backwards. I bent over backwards to help him and I lost the team. The players that were always doing the right thing, always showing up on time, didn't need encouragement, didn't need all that extra attention, began to ask themselves, why is he giving this person who's not really a team player at that same level that I am, why is he getting the attention when we're the ones that are being dependable? He said, so I learned the lesson that there are boundaries. I can't always please everyone. I can't, it's that high school notion that I have to have everyone love me. And unfortunately, you can't have that paradigm. It's more that people respect you. And certainly, if possible, they love you. But they love you because uh, you're always growing with them and you're listening. But even though you listen, that doesn't take you off your, when I get back to that priority, to that number one priority, sticking with that. Those are the people, ask Thomas Edison, one of the great examples of all history, um, it was 5,000 examples of how not to build a light bulb. It wasn't 5,000 failures. So uh, very important for you to love your daily discipline and stick with it and pay attention as you build your team. But don't be derailed because one person doesn't you know, like what you're doing. You need to make sure that they're on the team as well. Wow. In in incredible. I think that 
this episode has been full of so many life practical life advice things that everyday people you don't have to be an entrepreneur but even in your in your general life if you're building a career or even if you're trying to establish a great relationship all these philosophies and principles they apply uh, so thank you so much for for sharing these life lessons with us nick and there's absolutely so much value that we can take away from this um, we always like to do something at the end of the show as as we're coming to an end here on this uh this particular episode um angeline mentioned earlier on that we have a community of young entrepreneurs and we're always trying to give back we're always bringing on fantastic speakers and guests like yourself that can share these incredible journeys with us so hopefully people can take away this one thing from the show and implement that in their life so we always ask is there one thing nick and i know we're kind of putting you on the spot but it's 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 fun. <laughs> well i knew you were up for that but we always love to ask is there one thing nick that we can contribute to our community if some oh. if someone from the audience right now would want to love to get in touch with you because they're so fascinated in in what you shared here with today is there something that we can give them so they can take advantage well, Champions for the Homeless is, and thank you for asking that question, is run by St. Vincent de Paul. What separates out the people at St. Vincent de Paul is the leadership, Steve Zabilski, Jerry Castro, um, Jessica Berg, Daniel McMahon. These people have always been there. So look for uh, the nonprofit or any company, by the way, that has stable leadership, as long as the stable leadership is doing good things, right? Not just stable yeah. doing bad things. Uh, so that's the first thing. Champions for the Homeless I've been blessed to work with because these people are so committed way beyond what's in their job description. And if you can contribute, you can go to Nick Lowry, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y.org and donate to Champions for the Homeless. Um, I, I have a saying. I wanted to share this with you uh, because it's so true and it goes back to what we've talked about. It's not it's not the brightness of the spotlight on you, even though in America we love to have the spotlight. Ask the Kardashians about that. Kim <laughs> yeah. Kardashian, you may have noticed, has begun to do more and more things about arming herself with law school and, and doing things that really do help and really do contribute. They're not just shallow notions of success, which is phony success. And frankly, I think of that large rear end as the example of something that's phony, right? And uh, I don't want to leave you with that as the final image. So this is my image for you. It's not the brightness of the spotlight on you. It's the intensity of the light within you. So find people that see your light and make sure that you protect that fire inside so that you can contribute to others. And if you can help out Champions for the Homeless, if I can help you, mentor you, I'll give you a very quick example. Uh, Andy Vargas, the lead singer for Santana for 20-something years, dear friend of mine. We met in an elevator at a business uh, conference. Uh, he happened to be there. He's at the Mandalay Bay where Santana will again be playing again in about a month and a half. And uh, they play a hundred uh, shows there, by the way. And of course, COVID has stopped that. But we started talking immediately about contribution because he has this success. And he'd always dreamed of a music academy for poor Latino and poor youth. And I'd like to think that I helped him see he could do that now, not five years from now, not mm -hmm. 10 years from now, right now. And during COVID, he not only had built it, but now he finished it off and he has this beautiful musical school. And during this past year and a half, 
You think that it didn't help him to have that way to channel the frustration and the isolation to helping these children? Think of the millions and billions of children around the world that have been isolated during COVID with a terrible experience, very lacking experience in terms of real education. And yet some of them were lucky enough to know a man like Andy Vargas who said, hey, I'm here to find the music in you and unleash it. So that's what we do. We find the music in everyone we meet as much as we can by playing our own consistent, beautiful music in our lives. Wow. Great. Since you, you mentioned about mentorship, are you willing to um, maybe offer a complimentary, maybe 15, 20 minutes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what? There's always a gift from that. There's always a gift. You think it isn't a gift to me to know that I helped Andy maybe move faster on that dream and have that balance in his life? So, yeah, there's always a gift. I'd be honored to do that. Thank you. Thank you. you. Appreciate your time, Nick. I really appreciate you. Appreciate you, too. Wow. So we're going to make sure that this information will be distributed and we're going to apply this into the show notes that if anybody watching this episode here with Nick Lowry and you want to get in touch, maybe 15, 20 minute personal time with Nick just to get some questions answered, just to be helped on your way to provide some vision. This will be a incredibly unique opportunity and we're, we're so grateful and for your generous time here with us today and uh hopefully nick we we continue building and expanding and and always reaching people in all corners of the world so if that's okay with you we would love to invite you back you know sometime later when when you know COVID maybe has you know returned back to to maybe pre-covid times but we would always love to check up with our guests and see what they're working on because you have been such an inspiration uh, so hopefully that would be okay with you if we reach back and bring you on the show in a couple of months time and do this again. Thank you. And by the way, we know in yoga, namaste is I acknowledge the light in you. So thank you for the light in you. Thank wow. you. Thanks, Rob. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Angeli. Love you. Bless you. All right. Thank you so much. This was the fantastic episode with Nick Laurie, guys. And make sure you share this episode with your friends and family because if you can give something back please pay it forward we thank our guests we thank angeline and until next time the same time same place on the entrepreneur speaker series goodbye everyone